Well, and I think one thing the pandemic did was demonstrated how well, you know, particularly medical office, you know, performs even during a pandemic. I mean, you know, in our portfolio, very few tenants sought rent relief, very little rent relief was given, you know, uh, many of the tenants just learned how to adapt and, and continue to, to operate and function, you know, maybe under slightly different conditions than they were previously. But, you know, as a whole, the asset class really performed, you know, very well. And I think many investors saw that, particularly ones, you know, in, in asset types that didn't perform so well during the pandemic. And I think as a result, you know, we see capital rotating, you know, more capital rotating into our sector, which has been, you know, the the underlying story for probably 15 years. But we certainly saw an acceleration, I think, as a result of the pandemic. This is the Providers, Properties and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast is with Todd Jensen, Executive Vice President Investments at Caddis Healthcare Real Estate. Caddis acquires and develops healthcare properties, primarily in the Smile States. Starting out as a physician-owned company and still is, Todd shares the Caddis background and where its focus is moving forward. Thank you for joining. Todd, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here with you, Tricia. Well, when I met with uh, Jeff Williams recently, he gave me the high-level overview of Cadis Healthcare Real Estate. And I, what was particularly interesting is that it started off as an independent physician group. So can you share the background of Cadis for the listeners? Sure. Um, yeah, Cadis is an outgrowth of a large private uh, physician practice that was based in Dallas, Texas called Medical Edge. And it was at the time the largest practice in Texas and perhaps one of the larger practices in the country. I think it had 650 physicians. So needless to say, with a group that large, they had a lot of real estate needs and started to, you know, put people and expertise in place to address those needs. And eventually that grew into really a, a, a real estate company. They they ended up selling the practice to Texas Health Resources, a large not-for-profit hospital system based in Dallas. And then uh, also sold really most of the portfolio that they had developed as a physician practice. And then, you know, an outgrowth of that was the birth of Caddis. Very nice. And are some of them still involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the founders of Medical Edge are, are involved. Uh, they're the owners of Caddis, along with uh, two uh, former college classmates or friends of theirs who were real estate professionals. So that's really the, the ownership, ownership group for Caddis, including uh, our CEO, Lance Hardenberg. Great. Well, you yourself have spent most of your career in different leadership roles with companies focused in the healthcare real estate asset class. Can you share your background and your your particular interest in staying in the healthcare real estate asset class? Yeah. Um, I have about 25 years of experience in healthcare real estate. I started with uh, John Hammas at Hammas Company, 
I, it was it was a funny story. I remember I was working at Citibank at the time, Citicorp, and their real estate investment banking group. And it wasn't that wasn't a great place to be at the time because they were trying to shrink the real estate portfolio, not grow it, um, in the early '90s. But ended up uh, seeing an an ad in the Wall Street Journal that I thought sounded like the Trammell Crow Company, and it was a development associate position. And then at the bottom of the ad, it said in the healthcare group. And I thought, well, that's really strange. Who builds healthcare buildings? <laughs> uh, but I applied to the ad because everything else sounded really good. And it turned out it was Hamas Company. And I got the job and joined them in their Milwaukee headquarters in 1995, I think it was. And then, you know, a couple of years after being there, they offered me, you know, to join as a partner in the firm and open a regional office for them. So I went to the Mid-Atlantic and opened an office in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., and it kind of went from there. And then I you know, was recruited to Loth Property Group and had national responsibility for building their healthcare development practice. And then uh, ultimately left there in the in the uh, real estate or the finan- global financial crisis of 2008 <laughs> and joined a small boutique here in Florida named Dasco and was there for a couple of years. And then they were selling themselves to Lend-Lease. So then Fortunately for me, I was recruited to American Realty Capital and helped start a series of public non-traded REITs. And we raised about $5 billion of equity and invested all that in healthcare-related properties and ended up listing one of the companies on the NASDAQ stock exchange. And then it was acquired by Ventas. Um, And then I left there and worked on my own for a little while and have been an investor with Caddis for several years. I've known them really since the firm was started. And then uh, happened to be talking to Lance, and they felt like they had a need, and and my skill set was relevant to that need, and so we got together in in June of last year. Oh, well, great! Yeah, it's a great fit. Great fit. Uh, so, Caddis Healthcare Real Estate is headquartered in Dallas. That's right. And then, where do you focus your investments and developments geographically? Yeah, I would say our focus is on, you know, the smile states, as many others are really the West, the Southwest, the South, the Southeast, and up into the mid-Atlantic. And we do, you know, that's really where we're most focused, but we will invest really anywhere in the United States. We have holdings currently in the Midwest and the upper Midwest. So we really have a national purview and and aren't, you know, prohibited from investing anywhere in the United States. But certainly, you know, growth markets are more appealing. To real estate investors than not. So that's thus the focus on the smile states. Where the population is growing. Exactly. Population, jobs, yeah. So describe a what a good opportunity looks like for, for Caddis. Yeah, well, what's what's really interesting about Caddis and one of the things I really like about the firm is we both acquire and develop both medical office buildings and outpatient facilities as well as senior housing communities. So uh, you know, I'm focused right now really on the medical office side of the business. So we both develop and acquire. Um, so for us, you know, the an attractive opportunity is different for those two things, right? Development opportunities. We're looking for, you know, locations that we think will have good demand by physicians or hospital providers uh, for outpatient services, again, largely in those, you know, gr- smile growth states. Um, and, you know, there we're looking for you know, pretty robust returns given the risk involved in development. So there, you know, our, our underwriting will look for like a 20% internal rate of return on whatever the, the project is. Um, for our acquisitions, and we have, uh, uh, an, our, we're investing right now for our second uh, medical office building fund, you know, there we're buying stabilized assets for the most part. We could do some value add, 
you know, where there's leasing involved or redevelopment or renovation or whatever, but largely stabilized assets. So their, you know, their return target is much lower. There we're looking for, you know, uh, total invest uh, internal rate of returns in the you know low to maybe mid teens um, for those types of properties. And since you know Cadis was started by physicians, do you also also offer um, you know physicians ownership in your properties? We do. Um, you know we won't uh, oftentimes lead with that. You know it's not necessarily something that we're anxious to do. Uh, or need to do, you know, we, we feel like we can, we're sufficiently capitalized where we can capitalize projects ourselves. But if it's, if it's either very important to a specific tenant or group of tenants, or, you know, in a sale leaseback situation, if the physician practice wants to retain some ownership, but, but monetize the majority of their interest, we will definitely entertain it and are open to doing it and don't mind doing it. And uh, so do you have an interesting transaction story you can share with the audience? You know, one that's memorable or interesting and they always turn out differently than expected, but uh, something you want to share? Well, um, you know, I, I haven't been at Caddis for very long to see, you know, something go full cycle. But, you know, there are some interesting acquisitions that we're making that are, you know, have some complexities to them. Uh, restructuring leases and, you know, master leases and subleases. Uh, for instance, there's a project in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, terrific physical plant, terrific asset. Uh, and it had, you know, it's connected on all three floors to an orthopedic hospital, which in turn is connected to a general acute care hospital. So it's exactly the kind of asset we would want to own on a hospital campus, but had a little bit of a strange uh, lease structure. So, mm-hmm. you know, we part of our proposal to acquire the property was really to restructure the leases. Um, and move it from these um, master leases to straight leases with the actual occupiers of space. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to work out really well. And it's going to take us a little time to get to that ultimate resolution. But we have a bridge in place to allow us to acquire it successfully, have the economics work for our investors, and then ultimately get to direct lease relationships with the occupiers of space. So, you know, a little bit extra work, uh, but <laughs> we think worthwhile for a very solid asset. I think some of the ones that are the most successful, you know, when, when somebody looks at it, they're actually able to do something creative yeah. during the sales process to make it, you know, to overcome some of the challenges that might make it a little yeah. less attractive, but at the end, you know, you can work through them. Well, you know, do you have a transaction story keeping obviously things confidential that, you know, obviously you've, you've had some interesting situations in your career, but uh, anything that you've done in a, in a past situation? Uh, nothing's coming to mind. Trisha, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I don't have some titillating story of, uh, hanging on the, on the brink or anything like that. Um, well, you know, I think, I think medical office is a great, is a great investment. Um, you know, they're very solid performers and, um, you know, I think yielding good results for investors. Um, I personally, you know, acquired a medical office building myself and managed to flip it in less than two years and, uh, achieved some very attractive returns. Um, so, you know, I think it's a great asset class to, to invest in. Well, you, so you joined uh, Caddis in June of 2021. Yeah. So, you know, probably the, what the fifth wave of the, of the pandemic at that point. Um, but 
How has the pandemic affected your approach to pursuing opportunities, if it has at all? It really hasn't. I mean, it's it's remarkable, you know, what you can do. Um, you know, during the pandemic, it, you know, travel was a little harder, right? It was harder to go see properties, which we mm-hmm. always feel like we need to do, and and the sooner the better. And and we had a hard time, you know, getting third parties to do the diligence that we need assistance with. You know, whether that's uh, environmental or property condition assessments. I mean, they were all having trouble, yeah. <laughs> you know, traveling and doing their jobs and things like that. So everything kind of became elongated. And I would say, you know, also it affected capital raising. Capital raising slowed a little bit. Everybody get a little more cautious and, you know, wait and see. And how is this going to turn out? And what effect is, you know, the pandemic going to have on healthcare, real estate, or medical office buildings? So you know, it just seemed to slow everything down, but our, our approach really didn't change. We're still doing things the same way that we have for the most part, uh, doing some things, you know, more virtually like this call mm-hmm. and meetings and things like that, but otherwise hasn't really affected the underlying approach. Yeah. The real estate fundamentals for the long term are still strong. Well, and I think one thing the pandemic did was demonstrated how well, you know, particularly medical office, you know, performs even during a pandemic. I mean, right. You know, in our portfolio, very few tenants sought rent relief, very little rent relief was given, you know, uh, many of the tenants just learned how to adapt and, and continue to, to operate and function, you know, maybe under slightly different conditions than they were previously. But, you know, as a whole, the asset class really performed, you know, very well. And I think many investors saw that, particularly ones, you know, in, in asset types that didn't perform so well during the right. pandemic. And I think as a result, you know, we see capital rotating, you know, more capital rotating into our sector, which has been, you know, the the underlying story for probably 15 years. Right. But we certainly saw an acceleration, I think, as a result of the pandemic. And how do you think, you know, all of this capital and the challenges maybe other product types are having, you know, in the next three to five years, where do you see the outlook for healthcare real estate? Because you can't just go and build a bunch of medical buildings and hope people will come. I mean, there still has to be a strategy. You still have to be in the healthcare community. Um, You know, when I started 20 years ago, if someone had a piece of land, they would say, well, I'm just going to do medical because the returns are higher, (laughs) but you can't do, you know, I mean that, and you're like, well, yeah, but it it has no connection to a healthcare community. There's no reason for it to be here. Um, The travel of the patients, it's a little out of the way. And like the hot, there's like the hospital isn't even, near here. Um, you know, like that, that doesn't happen in medical office. So, you know, how do you think that all of this, I guess, attractiveness to the sector is going to affect it? Well, I think, I think you're going to see capital, uh, continue to want to migrate into the sector. Right. And, and to me, that's, you know, the, there is very little speculative development of medical office mm-hmm. buildings. Uh, so to me, that's what, part of what makes it attractive is, you know, the supply demand is almost always close to imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike other property types, whether it could be multifamily, retail, hospitality, senior housing, whatever, there, there often is a lot of speculative development based on where you are in the cycle. And that sort of exacts, exacerbates the cycle. Uh, we really don't have that in medical office. It's largely a build to suit driven uh, uh, development pipeline um, so as a result, you know, supply demand uh, generally stay in check. I think capital is going to continue to move into the sector, which I think will long term continue to compress cap rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, in the in the coming three to five years, I would expect 
you know, cap rates to be lower than they are today. Um, I would argue that cap rates have compressed, you know, 70 to 100 basis points in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, which is good if you're a seller and, and not so great if you're a buyer. But <laughs> I, I think we can still find good, op- we're still finding attractive opportunities and will believe that, you know, cap rates are actually going to be lower in the future based on the continued increase in demand by particularly institutional investors of this property type. Well, you're in development and, um, you know, I've talked to developers during the pandemic and pricing has been incredibly fluid and, uh, but, but, you know, they, this is their specialty and they've figured out how to manage it, but how, how is materials and supply chain and all of that going to affect development in the near term? Well, it, it makes it difficult, right? It makes it difficult to be able to accurately forecast uh, what your costs are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think if anything, it might slow the pace of development in the near term because people aren't feeling as confident that they know what their cost is going to be. So they're going to take a wait and see approach. Uh, and, you know, there's also going to be some extra, you know, rigor with the contractors as you work toward that, you know, ultimate construction cost of feeling like you've wrung everything out of it that you can and really pinned it down before you start that construction project. I mean, we have a couple developments we're pursuing right now and are struggling with that very issue, you know, trying to guess what it's going to be, you know, six months <laughs> from now when we're through the entitlement process or whatever, it's difficult. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, the, the guys in our development group or construction contractors, you know, it's up and down and up and down. And at one point, you know, things are getting better and then, oh, it got worse again. And it's a, a constantly moving target that we're doing our best to try to project where it's going to be, make sure that if anything, we're on the conservative side, if it's still viable, we're going to forge ahead and hope that we can, you know, tamp it down or that uh, some of those, you know, supply chain disruptions will be eased by the time we actually go to execute a construction contract. Yeah. Yeah. It's never a dull moment. Yeah. It it (laughs) does make it a little more challenging and, and probably again, I think slows things a little bit, but it, it, things aren't coming to a complete stop. So right, right. It, it just I think that's kind of the whole like things just take a little bit longer these days. Right. Um, Everything it seems takes a little longer. Yeah. Right. Well, Todd, we're going to move into the Q and A and get to know you a little bit. Okay. So, what was your first job? Well, my very first job was probably you know shoveling snow and mowing lawns as a kid. I I know I started an a, an early morning paper route in the seventh grade. Uh, so I did that. And my first employment situation was I worked at a shoe store in high school. And, uh, and then my summer after my freshman year of college, I worked at a bank processing center and then McDonald's at night. <laughs> <laughs> and my first professional job out of college was working with a company called, uh, at the time, Hewitt Associates, that was a benefits consultancy. And they were a terrific company to work for. Uh, and after working there a couple of years, I moved into sales and that was better than doing the computer programming I started doing. But I, you know, I had an uncle who, who was a real estate developer in Chicago. And when I, you know, as I learned, got, he lived in the Chicago land area and so did I right after college. So as I learned about, I would visit with him, you know, every few months. And as I learned about his profession and career, I really started getting interested in real estate development and then decided that's what I would pursue. So that was the jump from benefits consulting to uh, to real estate development and investment. I love that. 
Uh, what do you think you'd be doing for a living if you were not working in the healthcare real estate industry? Well, probably working in some other form of real estate. Uh, yeah. you know, I really enjoy it and have, and I think it's a, it's a great uh, industry to work in and, and can lead to a lot of uh, accomplishment. So I would, I would probably still be working in real estate. I really enjoy it. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Um, well, I, I do listen or watch CNBC a little uh, each morning with my morning coffee. Uh, so I use that for business information. And uh, I'm not doing much reading currently, <laughs> unfortunately, for pleasure or otherwise. Uh, so, you know, read a lot of emails. <laughs> right. I know. Sometimes at the end of the day, you're like, my eyes are so tired from reading emails. Yeah. I can't possibly read anything else. <laughs> Uh, what is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Exercise. I like to exercise. I'm a regular, I'm a habitual exerciser. And what, what are some things you like to do? I run, uh, I do weight training, I bicycle, and I uh, play touch rugby. Oh, touch, not tackle. <laughs> I, I, I played tackle rugby until I was 53, and then I broke my leg real severely. So no. I decided that was the end of the tackle rugby career. So. I took up touch. <laughs> uh, in your opinion, are leaders born or trained? I think probably trained. I think, you know, to leaders are people who, who want to lead. And I think that's more socialization uh, than innate. Right. But I'm not really sure. That's a, that's a very good question. What do you yeah. think? So I think that, um, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think that you can be born with um, like a take charge kind of um, personality. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that leadership is one of those things that, that it takes constant training. Um, and I, and I think that's because the people you're leading are not the same. I mean, um, and so I think it takes constant trial and error working with different people to get them to inspire them, um, to be their best. You have to kind of figure, you, you have to figure out and constantly, I think, learn different ways to, um, do some goal setting and different people have different things that excite them. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I think it's, it's constant, you know, and, you know, everything that, you know, I understand and in, in the workforce today. And I think this remote thing has caused, you know, that's a whole other thing because, um, you know, I do think that there's some people that can work remote, but then there's some people that can't work well remotely. Um, right. and then there's some things like one of the questions or conversations I was having recently, you know, when young people are entering the workforce, you know, they, they need some mentoring and they need some right. guidance and they need to, and they learn that sometimes just being in, in different meetings and different conversations or shadowing somebody. Um, and with remote work for people just getting started, you know, especially that, you know, one to five years that you're just, you know, you're, yeah, you have this education maybe, but right. you still don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Still learning your trade, right? Exactly. I mean, you're yeah. still learning it. Um, and, right. and having, you know, somebody to give you some feedback too. Um, so I, I, I think that, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think you can have innate skills, you know, some personality traits that uh, you gravitate towards leading, but I think the actual practice 
requires you to still learn. Yeah, sure. That's anyway. I mean, you know that. I mean, just to retain people in companies to get them to perform. I mean, it's it's, it's a whole. It's a it's a lot. Yeah, it is. You know. Yep, the challenge, no doubt. Yeah, and then keeping them there too, you know, and keeping them motivated and incentivized or, uh, you know, that's, you know, what has worked for you for, you know, the past five years to get you to stay someplace for the next five years, you know, they're probably two different things, but it's a practice. What I've always found really helpful is, yeah, I've I've found really helpful to have a a plan, you know, and written that everybody you know, either contributes to or at least sees and and then you review annually. So I think people need to know sort of what the plan is, know what their role is as a part of that plan, and mm-hmm. then feel like they're making a meaningful contribution toward the accomplishment of the plan. I think I've always found those things to be very helpful. Yeah, I think I think as a leader, you definitely you're, you have to provide a roadmap. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know, because without a roadmap, everyone starts to go in different directions. Nobody knows what the right direction is. And it's just sort of trial and error, which is frustrating and sometimes expensive for everybody. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, Todd, thank you for your time. This has been a a great conversation. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. Yeah. And Tricia, just uh, to let everybody who's listening to the podcast know our, our second medical office building fund, which we're currently both raising capital for and deploying and investing capital for is open to accredited investors. So if there's people who qualify as accredited investors who would be interested in making an investment in a medical office building fund, they can find information on that on our website. Great. At caddis.com. And I'll put the website in the show notes so that people can link to it and uh, get the information there. Okay, great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.